Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of One Man Watchpoint and Overwatch Podcast. I am, of course, your host, Sir Dr. J.M. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram where I'm happy to engage with you if you want to engage with me. Uh, send me questions, comments, concerns, anything you want, and uh, I might just discuss them on the show if you do. This is, of course, an Overwatch podcast where we look at everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. That, of course, includes the latest news um, with respect to Overwatch, Overwatch 2, as well as the Overwatch League. Uh, we also look directly at the previous week's matches in the Overwatch League. And, of course, we look at the upcoming week's matches in the Overwatch League as well. Now, I finally have some good news to bring to you. I have finally gotten off my lazy ass and managed to get this podcast not only on Apple Podcast Services, which I was locked to for the first 11 episodes, I have managed to finally get us on Google Services as well as Spotify. So hopefully this will open up our audience a little bit more and get a few more listeners. I'm very excited for this because if you listen to my previous episodes, you'll find out that on every episode I say we're on Apple Podcast Services and that I'm going to look into getting us elsewhere. And uh, although I did try at one point, I got stuck and I just never really went back to it. And finally I went back to it. And here we are now on, I want to say everything, I don't know if it's everything for sure, but many things, at least probably the most widely used things. Now, typically speaking, we start this show by covering the news so I think we'll dive right in, as uh, this week I've got uh, quite a bit of news to go into, as well as quite a few matches to cover, although uh, once we get to that section, uh, I'll talk a little bit more about that. So first things first, our first news story uh, comes from Rachel Samples at DottieSports.com, and it goes like this. Swimmer steps away from comp- Sorry, pardon me, let me start over. Swimmer steps away from competitive Overwatch parts ways with Boston Uprising. The Boston Uprising have said goodbye to support Gabriel Swimmer Levy, the Overwatch League team announced today. Today, I've decided to take a step back from competition in Overwatch for the time being to focus more on myself and my personal brand with my sights set on the future, Swimmer said. I want to thank Boston for all they've done for me over the last year and a half I've been with them. With Swimmer's departure, Boston is down to six players on its active roster. Earlier in the month, the team kicked off Tank Walid Mufin Basal after allegations of sexual misconduct surrounding the player surfaced. Now, of course, that last little bit there, um, I threw in there just to mostly point out the size of Boston's roster at this very moment. Um, I won't talk about the other stuff there just because I did talk about that on last week's episode. However, um, you know, sad to see Swimmer go. He had quite the history with Overwatch, um, with the Overwatch League especially. And uh, actually, hop over to DottieSports.com and read Rachel's article there because she outlines, um, you know, how he started with them and, and uh, where he came from and a little bit of that in further detail. So regardless, with that departure, that brought Boston down to six players on its active roster. And of course, they actually had a game this past weekend. Um, against the Toronto Defiant on Friday, April 17th. So with only six players on their roster, that meant all six players were playing and there were no chances for substitution, which puts them in an interesting boat, um, especially being there with, with their current record this season. If I pull it up, they are, yep, they are dead last before the uh, this weekend's matches. I think they might have been in 19th or maybe not 20th, but they definitely are sitting dead last now. So... 
who knows what will happen with that Boston team, um, especially with everything else going on right now in the world and isolation and all that jazz. But, of course, we wish Gabriel Swimmer-Levy all the best. Moving on from there, the next article I have is titled Overwatch's Echo has an enormously large head hitbox. And this was posted by Samuel O'Dwyer at .esports.com. Now, I did read this article, or a similar article, I should say, at a couple other publications, but I kind of like Samuel's article the best. Essentially, if you go read that article, he's got a uh, video embedded from Reddit, um, from the Overwatch Reddit, that just demonstrates a Widowmaker taking a headshot on Echo from the side. And what you see is Echo has this kind of, uh, I don't know, bar thing coming out the back of her head. And her hitbox isn't just that bar leading into her head. It is actually the bar sort of if you drew a square from the far end of the bar farthest away from her head straight down to her shoulder and then encompassed her head to make kind of a square shape you can actually hit anywhere in there where her head isn't actually there um, so I, I put this in here just because obviously echo is such a new character and it's very interesting to see all the things people are finding out about echo um, i'll talk a little bit more about that later as well just because there was a echo tournament this weekend however it was interesting to see the video because it really does demonstrate uh, just how, I don't know if I want to say broken. Um, I'm not entirely convinced that I, it, it, is, it is broken. If you go read Samuel's article, he actually talks about how this could be intended because Echo in a lot of ways seems very overpowered right now. So, you know, giving her a larger head hitbox kind of helps, uh, helps even the playing field to an extent, as well as... Um, he also covers some of the previous hitbox uh, problems they've had within Overwatch. Things like Genji's uh, deflect having way too large of a hitbox where he used to be able to reflect, you know, crazy amounts of things back at, at uh, the sender. So regardless, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if they patch it, if they fix it, change it, alter it or anything like that. But uh, hopefully more on that to come in the coming weeks. The next article I want to look at and I do realize I'm kind of flying through these, but that's because I feel like there's a lot to talk about. Next article actually comes from Dexterto.com, posted by Bill Cooney, and it reads like this: Jeff Kaplan promises, sorry, Jeff Kaplan promised changes for Overwatch's quote flawed two CP maps. So I'm going to read a bit of a chunk of this article, and then I'll talk a little bit more about it. Assault, more commonly known as 2CP maps in the Overwatch community, are some of the most unpopular maps to get in rotation for players. For years, we've, we've just had to bear it and pray to the RNG gods God, that we don't get Temple of Anubis, Paris, or any other 2CP map for our competitive matches, but Jeff has spent the last week assuring us that devs are currently working on changes. In the last week, we've already seen two of the worst examples of Overwatch 2CP maps, Paris and Horizon Lunar Colony, completely removed from the competitive rotation. Kaplan revealed that the developers have spent more time working on 2CP than any other mode in a blog post on the official Overwatch forums on April 17th. Quote, We discuss 2CP all the time. It's one of the top discussions we have in the design group. End quote. Kaplan revealed, Quote, we've spent more time trying to address that game mode and trying changes than any other mode. We've also reworked those maps the most, end quote. So I wanted to bring this up because I've actually talked about 2CP in my show before. Um, and to be honest, I personally don't have that much of a hate for 2CP. Um, I, I, some of the maps in particular I do enjoy. Obviously, some of them are quite a bit more frustrating. 
Um, I actually enjoy Horizon, even though I understand and I do feel the frustration with Horizon. It definitely can be one of the hardest, most difficult, most annoying maps to have, but I also don't think it's anywhere near the same level as Paris, where I think Paris is, um, in a lot of ways, very broken. Paris, for some reason, presents... Either it's a steamroll situation where you just blast through it, or it is a complete bottleneck and you make no progress. So <clears throat> I do think there's problems with that one in particular. Outside of that, um, I actually would say that Temple of Anubis is one of my favorite maps, at least one of my favorite uh, assault maps. I definitely enjoy it quite a bit. But again, it has a lot of the same problems, I think, as uh, Paris, where teams often just can't seem to break through that uh, that opening bottleneck kind of area. That said, um, I think as long as you have you know the appropriate players and you can or characters being played and you can communicate with your team, generally speaking, you can get through a lot of those challenges. So, anyways, um, interesting that they're looking at creating um, or changing things up and and making two CP a little more hopefully balanced, um, and obviously interesting that that's one of the top discussions they have. I largely would suspect that we're not going to see many changes with the base Overwatch game anymore. Uh, we already know that Echo was the final hero that's coming to Overwatch, so I would assume that the team has mostly shifted to Overwatch 2. It'll probably just be basic balancing changes, maybe maybe slight uh, you know experimental card and uh, game mode changes in that sense. But I don't suspect we'll see any overhauls or any large changes with 2CP um, coming to Overwatch 1 until Overwatch 2 comes out and hopefully they'll reinvent 2CP and then they'll apply that back to the old maps or, or uh, change things up that way. How they could do that, um, I'm not too sure. There's, there's all sorts of videos on YouTube and, and articles have been written on how to change 2CP. Um, I'm not necessarily a creative type, so I don't necessarily have any brilliant ideas. One thing I've read about is, you know, basically just extending it out and making it that, making it so that, you know, if you cap the second point, it unlocks a third point. Um, obviously, that would take quite a bit more work because then they would either have to add on to the map or, you know, reset it mid-match or something like that, which does get confusing and and present other challenges. But that could be something interesting, or they could, you know, add a, another mode um, to the map, that kind of thing. But who knows what they'll end up doing there. Now, the next story I want to look at here, I've got a little bit of a section pulled out that I want to read, but definitely go check out the article. This one is from Connor Bennett at Dexterto.com, and it reads like this. Jeff Kaplan confirms changes to multiplayer levels in Overwatch 2. Now, I'm just before I read the little snippet that I've wrote, written out here, I wanted to point out that that title is a little misleading. Um, Jeff Kaplan confirms changes to multiplayer levels in Overwatch 2. So when I originally read that, I thought levels as in maps. It actually means levels as in the borders around your, uh, or indicating your, your player level kind of thing. So just to give you the description here, here's what I pulled from the article. The Overwatch lead designer responded to a thread that asked for changes to how the current Overwatch levels look, with complaints being bandied around that the, quote, tacky, quote, borders that appear on an account when they hit gold. Quote, currently our plan is to change the system for OW2, Kaplan commented. 
will find a way to recognize your accomplishments for those who care, but the current plan is for those borders to go away and be replaced with a different system. Now, go read Connor's article. He talks a lot more about, um, you know, how some people like it, how some people don't. I personally actually have always found the borders to be a little bit silly. Um, they give you kind of an at-a-glance uh, indication of where someone's at, but I don't necessarily think they indicate anything, to me at least, other than, you know, in a lot of ways, oftentimes, you've played a lot. Um, the only time that I think they're really meaningful is in the very high levels. Um, you know, uh, Grandmaster and Top 500 and things like that. Um, one streamer in particular who I watch, uh, Daniel Fenner, um, he uh, he has a... I can't remember if he's Top 500 Grandmaster, what he is, but his is shiny and nice, and it's always exciting to see his, his pop up in a match. So I do think there's better ways they could do it. Um, again, I'm not necessarily a creative type, so I'll leave those decisions up to them. I do personally think that it should be something that is, you know, displayed to others um in a, a sort of indicative way of hey this is this is you know how skilled or not skilled i actually am um and maybe that comes down to matchmaking and uh and the actual ladder system but i definitely find it very interesting that we're sort of starting to get these little squeaks and these little little hints at things that might be coming and changing in overwatch 2 from you know jeff and the team um, just because it seems like, you know, maybe the announcement was a little early, um, certainly earlier than the Blizzard team would have liked. I think they probably got a lot of pressure from Activision to announce that stuff just with all the stuff that was going on in the background. But it'll be exciting to find out and see some of these systems that you don't necessarily think about when you think Overwatch 2, right? I think for the most part, you think Overwatch 2, you think, oh, new heroes, new maps, new game modes, you know, um, uh, non-competitive uh multiplayer mode um story that kind of thing lore you don't i think necessarily think of the little things like oh our portraits um you know the border on our portraits might change or something like that so i definitely am excited to hear about little tidbits like that all the time moving on my next story is about this week's uh hero pool bands so the bands look like this, and I pulled this from Liz Richardson's uh, article on DottieSports.com that reads, Echo Tracer Disabled in Overwatch's April 19th Hero Pools. Before she could make her debut in the Overwatch League, Echo has been disabled through the Hero Pool system alongside three other heroes. The April 19th Hero Pools, which apply to both the Overwatch League and Overwatch's competitive mode, were drawn on April 19th after the Flash Ops Echo Tournament was completed. Each week, two damage heroes, one support hero, and one tank hero are, quote, disabled from play to change the game's meta. Echo and Tracer are the damage heroes disabled through this through the next week of competition. Tank Orisa and support Moira will join the two speedy heroes on the bench this week. So, why is this interesting? Well, this is obviously interesting because this will greatly affect... Uh, the Overwatch League play with uh, Tank and Moira both being pulled out. But Echo and Tracer is very interesting. Tracer, obviously, because, you know, we've been seeing a lot of her with all the other hero bands that have been happening. And I think, for the most part, Tracer play is always fun to watch. But Echo, obviously, being even more interesting because Echo is brand new to the game. So Echo hadn't actually even made it to the Overwatch League play yet. But obviously, she was being played enough in the regular um, competitive modes and other things that she made it on the chopping block and guess what she's banned 
Now, Liz does point out in her article, she goes over a lot more, so go ahead and give her the read, but she does actually point out that no two, no hero can be banned, this, ban, sorry, let me start over. No hero can be banned two weeks in a row, so that means that Echo will definitely be in play in the Overwatch League for the last week of April. So that's exciting and will be exciting to see. Now, the final news article I want to talk about here before we get into our OWL recap, recapping week 11 in the Overwatch League, is, of course, about Sunday's Flash Ops Echo Showdown. So I won't describe it too much because I'm going to read a whole bunch of Liz's article. This one, again, comes from Liz Richardson at .esports.com. However, I will discuss it just a little bit because I actually did uh, tune in and catch a little bit of the tournament. So the article reads like this. Test Team 1, Tense 1983, win Overwatch Flash Ops Echo Showdown. Practicing a new Overwatch hero often pays off in the, on the competitive ladder, but that expertise rarely reaps a monetary reward. This weekend, the Overwatch Flash Ops Echo Showdown took place, inviting hundreds of teams to compete using the game's newest hero, Echo. The tournament was split into two regions, North America and EMEA, bracket Europe, Middle East, and Africa, with a $25,000 prize pool in total. The tournament was based around a simple rule. Every team must have one player using Overwatch's new hero, Echo, at all times. Each team in the tournament could also have up to two players from the Overwatch League or Overwatch contenders on their roster, leading to some seriously heated competition. Test Team 1, a team composed of multiple current and former Overwatch League players and top streamers in the community, took the grand prize in the North American tournament. In the EMEA region, Tense 1983 fought through their region, utilizing the talents of multiple former Overwatch contenders players. Dante Dante Cruz, current DPS for the Houston Outlaws, played Echo for Test Team 1. Toronto Defiant Flex Support Park Kareev Young-Soo joined the team alongside former Houston Outlaws DPS and current Overwatch League caster Jacob Jake Lyon on DPS. Former contenders players like main tanks James Cloneman16, DeArcangelo, and off-tank Anthony Harblu-Balo rounded out the team with Francine Franvo and Redshell, top Overwatch streamers and support players. In the North American Grand Finals, Test Team 1 took on Scion, a team made up of young, hungry, competitive ladder players. In the semifinals, Scion took out Team Kekwa, which included contender support Becca Aspen Rukavina, streamer Emray Kabaji, Dinser, and Los Angeles Valiant DPS Kyle KSF Frendenisa, who stepped in as substitute. Test Team 1 defeated Scion with a 3-0 scoreline, but the young upstarts made the professionals work for it. Scion's DPS lineup repeatedly took out Dante as Echo, effectively shutting down the team's main source of damage. Overwatch League teams, who will likely have to face Dante's Echo skills soon, should take note. On the EMEA side of the bracket, Tense 1983 defeated, quote, Don't Test My Gangster to take home the grand prize. Tense 1983 included players like Tank Esteban Helve Fernandez, who previously played for European contenders team Clockwork Vendetta. The team also included most of the roster from Raspberry Racers, a team that competes in the European Open Division scene. Both of the grand prize winners uh, take home $10,000 to split among their team. 
Second place receives $5,000, while third and fourth place teams receive $2,500. In total, $25,000 was up for grabs in the tournament, which was sponsored and organized by Blizzard Entertainment. So that was a long one, and I definitely read the whole thing, but go ahead and check out Liz's article on .esports.com. Um, because it was, uh, it was an exciting tournament. Um, I only, I caught a little bit of, um, I can't remember who it was. One of the, uh, guys on test team one streaming on his own. Um, and I actually tuned into that. However, uh, I was actually a little sick on Sunday, so I also had a nap during that, but then I was up for the, um, semifinals and I caught most of the semifinal game before they got to, uh, playing Scion. And it was definitely, uh, very exciting to see, um, you know, Dante uh, Wrecking Shop as Echo, um, as well as, uh, you know, some of the other guys really, really taking the, the teams to task and just honestly doing a killer job with, you know, uh, a group of guys that, no, guys and gals, that isn't necessarily, you know, people they normally play with. Um, that was kind of one of the cool things about this tournament, if you ask me, um, is that it was open to sort of all, you know, professional uh, contenders, um, streamers and, and, and everyone. And as well as, you know, we got to see Jake come back, you know, Jake who we're familiar with from the casting, uh, I don't know, casting house, cause he's casting at his own house now, like everyone is. But regardless, it was very exciting. Um, I enjoyed seeing Kareev obviously as a, you know, closeted Toronto fan, as I talk about often and that kind of thing. So good stuff all around and lots of fun, especially to see Echo being played because I know in the past, um, you know, when the new heroes come out, they don't, they don't make it into the Overwatch League right away. I think there's usually two weeks before they are available. So it was exciting to see some of that high level Echo play, um, coming out. And I am very curious to see, you know, what happens in the future with, with Echo being used or, or not used and that kind of thing. So exciting stuff. Now, the next part of the show is a section I like to call the Owl Recap. Now, this is where I go through the previous week's uh, matches in the Overwatch League. So week 11, taking place April 16th through 19th. Um, and this weekend was a actually not even so much a weekend. It was a week because matches actually started on Thursday. Now, I'm not sure if this was strictly to free up time for the Echo Tournament or not. Um, I originally thought it was to uh, schedule some of the Chinese Asian teams a little earlier. However, looking at when they occurred, I don't think that's the case. So I think it might have been the the Flash Ops uh, tournament that they were actually you know scheduling around a little bit. So we had our you know um, I, I want to call them North American, but I mean Paris played as well. Although I think Paris is the only non North American team that played. So. Um, regardless, we had those games played Thursday and Friday. So we had two games Thursday, April 16th, three games Friday, April 17th. And then we had Asian, two Asian games, uh, Saturday, April 18th and two Asian games, Sunday, April 19th. So let's start at the beginning with the, uh, Atlanta rain facing off against the Washington justice on Thursday. So looking at uh, these games on Thursday, I got a new notebook and I tore a couple pages out of the old one and tossed them for whatever stupid reason. And I actually tossed my notes from the games. So I'm going to be going off of memory here, but uh, I'll also pull up the stats and everything and take a look there. Um, this game, uh, Atlanta versus, versus Washington, I don't think shocked anyone. Um, it was pretty much what we all expected to happen with, uh, you know, Washington, I mean, currently sitting in 19th place, only ahead of the Boston Uprising. 
And Paris, I mean, at the time going into the game, I think Paris was in fifth or sixth. Oh, Paris, I'm jumping around to Paris. Atlanta. Um, Atlanta, I think at the time was around fifth or sixth. And uh, with this win, I mean, and with everything else that happened in the league over the weekend, they actually stayed right in fifth. So let's look back at that game a little bit. I'm just going to pull up the details here. As I mentioned, Atlanta took it 3-0, and and it was pretty much a wash for Atlanta, um, although map 2 was a little bit interesting. So the map breakdown went like this. Map 1 was Ilios, and Atlanta took it 2-0. and Map 2 was Route 66, and Atlanta took it 4-3, to and map 3 was 3-1 to on Hollywood. So, you know, a bit of a wash on map 1 there on Ilios. Looks like Atlanta capped a capped it pretty quick and held on to it and didn't allow Washington to do much there. Um, moving on from there, in on Route 66, obviously both teams did manage to push it the whole way. So that's, you know, interesting there. Not something that is incredibly uncommon in the payload maps, though, as I've talked about before. Um, and, but obviously when it came time for um, Atlanta to go back on the attack, they had much more success than Washington, who wasn't able to even get it to that first point. And then on Hollywood, obviously, Atlanta managed to take it the whole way, whereas Washington only really managed to uh, to cap that first point, which gave Atlanta the win 3-0. and So now that's not necessarily super interesting because I think most people probably expected that. However, um, not the next game, but the one following that was actually a little bit of the opposite, where the team that everyone or most people expected to pull out the win uh, did not, but we'll get to that in a moment. The second game on Thursday was the Los Angeles Gladiators against the Los Angeles Valiant, so battle for LA here. And looking at that match, it was an exciting one, um, definitely a good fun match um, with it, you know, being what it was, um, Battle of LA and all. I think most people would have probably put their money on the Los Angeles Gladiators, although the Los Angeles Valiant are nothing to scoff at. Um, and, you know, both of these teams I'm actually, I'm, I am a bit of a fan of, and I don't think their records are indicative of their actual performance. I think La the Los Angeles Gladiators, I think, are really stepping up and really pushing to be, you know, one of those top 10 teams. And I think in a lot of ways they are and they play really well, but then I think in a lot of ways... They usually manage to take two or three map, well, two maps somewhat easily or somewhat decisively, and then they usually fall. And I'm not sure if it's a problem with maintaining it or if it's a problem with, you know, they don't get started too early, but I think that's something that we've seen uh, a few times now with the Los Angeles Gladiators. Los Angeles Valiant, on the other hand, um, a team that did a lot of rebuilding in the offseason, I also think are better than their record shows. Right now, they're sitting at two wins, five losses, which actually puts them in 18th. They are third from the bottom. And I don't think that really shows how they are. I think they, being in the division they're in and with the teams they're in, they've had a number of matches against San Francisco. They've had a number of matches against the Los Angeles Gladiators. And, you know, early on in the season, I think they had a match against the Vancouver Titans. So they have arguably one of the harder um, schedules to, to or schedules matchup pairings or whatever you want to call it to manage and i think that's why we see them in large part in the position they're in so regardless let's get into that match so the match actually went to five rounds 
and it went like this the first round was on busan where the los angeles gladiators took it two to one um so you know valiant definitely putting up a fight there map two route 66 where la took it three to two map three hollywood where the los angeles valiant started their reverse sweep and took it three to two Map four was Hanamura, where the Los Angeles Valiant again took it two to one. And at that point, obviously, it was tied up 2-2. And everyone was thinking, oh my gosh, are the Valiant about to perform a reverse sweep? But then, of course, we went back to control um, for on Ilios, and the Los Angeles Gladiators took it 2-0. So now this is actually interesting because, again, this is, um, this is something that I think we in a way I'll get to sort of saw with San Francisco um, that the time the weekend when the Los Angeles Gladiators beat San Francisco um, the LAG really stomped them on control and of course with map one being control and then map five being control um, it played in their favor um, and I think again this is what we saw here as well map one being control on Busan map five being control on Ilios I think the Los Angeles Gladiators have a strong control uh, I don't know what you want to call it, control lineup. And they managed to, you know, clinch the win at the end there, uh, stopping the Los Angeles Valiant from performing the reverse sweep. Now, looking at the standings here, if the Los Angeles Valiant had won that game, they would have been 3-4, and four, putting them in uh, about the 13-14 position, I believe. Yeah, it looks like right about there. Whereas um, the Los Angeles Gladiators would be sitting two and four which would quite literally drop them to about 17th place so it's very interesting right now because two seemingly even teams where you know you trade one win and one loss for them and they basically switch spots you know the lav jump well los angeles valiant wouldn't be quite as high as los angeles gladiators are right now but regardless you you see what i'm saying so anyways that was another exciting match um and honestly, right now, at, at this point, I like both teams. Um, I'm a fan of both. I lean towards the Los Angeles Gladiators a little more, um, but I, I don't truly have much of a reason for that. Moving on from there. Uh, so that was all the matches for Thursday. We then had our first Friday match. And let me stop and take a moment to just say how much I enjoy having matches on Thursday and Friday again. I really enjoy having matches on Thursday and Friday again. Um, especially Friday. I just, I don't know what it is, but... Uh, I like the timing of the matches when it's a Friday evening a little better than throughout the day on a, a Saturday-Sunday kind of thing. Um, I didn't mind two matches on Thursday. Um, you know, it seems like it's over quick because I think we're used to at least three matches at this point. But I like having them on Friday. I think definitely they should put more games on Friday, even if they did two on Friday and then, you know, maybe just two on Saturday, two on Sunday, instead of three Saturday, three Sunday. Take one game from each of those. Anyways, I'm... I'm rambling. So let's get into um, the first matchup of Friday. Arguably, and you know, in my opinion, I would probably say this would be the match of the weekend. Um, if I had to crown one match the ultimate, the best, the most exciting, or whatever match to watch, this was it. Because let's take a look at the standings where the Paris Eternal are sitting in eighth place with a record of five and four. Of course, Prior to this match, which they lost, they were four and three, which put them somewhere in the fifth, sixth area, up with uh, Atlanta Rain. Florida, on the other hand, 
was sitting, uh, would have been two and three, and they were sitting towards the bottom in, I believe, more like the 16th, 17th area. So Florida obviously taking a huge win beating Paris. You know, Paris was in a lot of ways looking like a top five team, and Florida was looking like, you know, I wouldn't say top, I wouldn't say bottom five, but maybe bottom seven or eight kind of thing. And, you know, they're, they're still sitting there because obviously they got to claw their way back out of that hole now. But that was a big win for them, especially proving that, you know, a team like Florida, who is, you know, basically rebuilt their entire roster, I think, uh, uh, during the offseason, could take out a team like Paris, who so far had been showing a lot of strength and a lot of dominance. So looking at the score, uh, Florida, I don't know if I said this, Florida 3-0 and Paris. They swept them, which was awesome and very exciting to watch so map one was on oasis and it went florida 2 and 0 against paris so again you know florida really showing some dominance there taking them out map two was rialto where Par uh, where florida took it two to one and map three was numbani where florida took it five to four so even in the overtime push florida showing uh paris really who was in control there one of the things I wrote down um, in my notes on this was just, wow, Florida. That's it. They looked really good, um, and I obviously I really enjoyed them. Um, you know, I've talked about this before. I am sort of a fan of Florida. I Mostly I like their colors. I like their logo, um, but I like their players as well. And I think it's, it's really fun and exciting to see them, you know, getting some victories, especially against a team like Paris. Um, one thing that I kind of think was Paris's downfall in this match was it did kind of seem like Paris was, um, they, I don't want to say they weren't playing to win. I wonder if they were testing out some strategies because they weren't, they really weren't counterpicking the DPS picks that Florida was making. Um, they, they weren't even mirroring them. It seemed a little bit more like they were trying some things out. They were, they were, you know, maybe playing some hero combinations to see what they could make work. And I just don't think it played out in their favor. That said, I don't necessarily know why they would stick to that. I would have thought they would, you know, give up on it after you're down 2-0 or even down 1-0 just to ensure you get the win where you need it. But hey, whatever, to each their own. So yeah, exciting match and fun seeing, oops, bumped my mic there, fun seeing Florida beat Paris. Second match of the day on Friday was the Boston Uprising against the Toronto Defiant. Now, I talk about this every time Toronto comes up. I'm a closet Toronto fan, um, you know, mostly because I'm Canadian and that's about it, but also because I'm a big fan of Sherfor and I think he uh, he's one of the clutch players in the league right now. Um, and, you know, I don't want to call him a veteran, but I know he's been around, a, you know, for a while. But I also like him because he's not far from, or he's, not, he's from a town not far from where I live. So the match went in favor of Toronto, 3-1, to one, and it broke down like this. Match 1 went to the Boston Uprising, 2-1. to one. And I remember watching this and thinking, man, Boston, you know, not in necessary, I mean, yeah, in a bad way, but after everything Boston's been through, they come out with a win on map 1, you know, maybe things are looking up for them. Um, they took a 2-1, to one, so it's not like Toronto you know, slept or was on cruise control or anything like that. But, uh, yeah, Ilios went two to one Boston. And, uh, I was immediately like, oh man, Toronto, you guys are going to drop this game again. 
Another another one you could pick up and you you should win. You deserve to win, but you're going to lose it. And then obviously Toronto turned it around. Dorado was map two, where Toronto took it three to one. Uh, Eichenwald was map three, where Toronto took it three to two. And map four was Paris, where Toronto took it four to three. Paris in particular was a very exciting uh, round. Um, you know, with a lot of dominance on both sides, um, kind of seems like the defending team really gets the short end of the stick on Paris, which is probably why we're not, you know, going to see Paris played uh, in the near future kind of thing. Now, in terms of uh, the roster, um, starting off that match, Toronto had Surefor on Soldier and Logics on Tracer, which was interesting because, uh, you know, Logics on Tracer, definitely good pick, um, and he can definitely play Tracer quite well. Surefor on Soldier, I wasn't, I was a little confused by, um, just because we're not seeing Soldier played too much in this meta. Um, you know, mostly if he is getting played, it's because of the Hero Pool bans. But that said, um, I was excited to see him, you know, see Surefor play a character that I hadn't really seen him play much before. Uh, but it, you know, it didn't really turn out, and I think he switched off him pretty quickly. On the other side, we had Boston starting with Jerry on Reaper and Color Hex on May, which was definitely more of the, you know, traditional in-meta uh, pick kind of thing. That said, um, you know, both teams were running uh, Wrecking Ball Diva for much of the matches, which was, you know, fun to see. I, I like seeing Wrecking Ball play. I'm glad Diva's back. I think Diva is definitely one of the most versatile um, off tanks and, and exciting to watch as well. So that was fun. Um, but once we got past that control map on Ilios the first round, um, it really kind of seemed like Toronto was just making some decisive wins. And I know, you know, I went over the score there. Duran Dorado, Toronto definitely decisive win with it three to one. Um, Eichenwald, you know, not necessarily the most decisive. Toronto managed to get all three, whereas Boston only got two. But Toronto just looked more in control most of the time, which, you know, maybe that's to be expected with, uh, you know, the, the, the positioning of both of the teams on the ladder. Um, Boston now sitting at the bottom of the league um, in 20th position with Toronto now slowly maybe climbing their way out of the hole they dug themselves into early on um, in 12th position with a record of 4-5. and five. So that's what the Toronto match looked like. And yes, I call it the Toronto match because I like Toronto. Moving on from there, we had the final matchup of the weekend, of, sorry, of Friday. Um, and you know what, if if the Florida Mayhem versus Paris Eternal wasn't the match of the weekend, the Dallas Fuel versus the San Francisco Shock definitely was. And the reason I say that is because um, Dallas lately, although they haven't necessarily picked up wins um, in all of their games, Dallas, since coming back to play after a semi-long hiatus has really been exciting to watch and I think they could be on the upswing. This match came really close for Dallas. I was really looking forward to Dallas stomping San Francisco. Um, we all know I'm a Vancouver Titans fan, but so, sorry, lost my train of thought there. So any team that can stomp San Francisco in my book is a good team and I was really hoping they were going to get it at the end there and I actually, in fact, um, you know, spoilers, but the final map was uh, uh, Busan, and I actually, um, San Francisco capped one, and then it went to Dallas, and Dallas capped the next, and I actually, I lost focus or something, and I thought Dallas had won it there, and I thought that was it, and San Francisco was out, and then lo and behold, it went to the third round, San Francisco capped it, and that was the end for Dallas, but 
Let's start at the beginning, where we had a control map on Lijiang Tower, and Dallas took it two to one. And again, this comes back to the um, control sort of dominance that I was talking about, or, or lack thereof, when it comes to San Francisco. I don't know what it is, but it seems like in a lot of their games, they're struggling on control, um, which was, you know, where they lost it early on uh, in those some of those games they lost against the LA teams. So regardless, obviously, they brought it back around on Busan, as I just talked about, but I digress. Map two was Rialto, where it went to San Francisco, three to two. Map three, Dallas then took it back, and it was three and zero on Numbani um, for Dallas again, putting them up two to one. So at this point, they obviously had a chance to win it all, match point, if you will. It then went to Hanamura, and San Francisco took it one to nothing. So. Hanamura was a bit of a crazy map. Um, really interesting to see because obviously neither team managed to cap both points. San Francisco, I think they broke through early on in um, on point A and they stole it from Dallas, whereas they then mounted just the strongest defense they could and uh, Dallas managed to hold off San Francisco. And then when they swapped, San Francisco mounted an even stronger defense and Dallas couldn't even cap point A. So really interesting stuff, um, really too bad because Hanamura is one of those maps where, you know, especially on point A, if you can just get a couple of pickoffs, a couple of kills on, on the, uh, the defending team, um, you know, they've got such a long walk back from spawn that in a lot of ways that's all it takes to cap A and then B, obviously, tides turn a little bit and it's a long walk for the attacking team. So regardless, San Francisco took it 1-0, forcing a fifth map. Fifth map went to Busan, where it went the way of the San Francisco Shock 2-1. So um, like I say, this this could easily be match of the weekend if, uh, if that Florida-Paris match wasn't, just because of the... Um, Honestly, the the super coordinated, crisp, clean look that Dallas had. Um, I can only imagine what the coaching staff felt during that game, and the, and the players, obviously, just because it really looked like they were playing as a unit. They were playing as a team. Now, I know one thing I had mentioned uh, on last week's episode was that I didn't feel like the San Francisco shock that we had been seeing were the San Francisco shock of last season. Um, I really felt like last season, they f San Francisco felt like a very cohesive unit. They felt like a team. They felt like nobody could break them up or you know chop them down or anything like that. Um, I definitely think that you know one of one of the other teams that we saw that with last season were the Vancouver Titans. Um, obviously, I'm a little biased because they're my favorite team, but I think we have had really yet to see that in San Francisco this season. That said, I think this game looked a lot better for them. They looked a lot more cohesive and that kind of thing. But the point in all of this is to point out that Dallas looked like that as well. Dallas was making some really smart plays, really good group effort, and really combined their forces to push it as far as they did. Um, so no small feat that Dallas uh, you know, took it or lost it three to two but no small feat that they got those two points and it had to go to map five just to be decided dallas honestly you know round of applause for dallas round of applause for florida this weekend moving on from there we then had our saturday games which were you know asia focused games this weekend 
Um, the first game on Saturday was the Chengdu Hunters against the Gangzhou Charge, and it went the way of the Hunters 3-0. and So let's look at the map breakdown. Um, with only three rounds, we had Lijiang Tower go the way of Chengdu 2-0. and We had map two as Rialto go the way of Chengdu 1-0. and And again, we had Chengdu go 2-0 and against uh, Gangzhou on Hollywood. So this one looks, you know, I hadn't actually looked at the score yet. This looks to be a bit of a washout for uh, for Chengdu. Um, you know, they they really cleaned Gangzhou's clock. Uh, you know, Gangzhou not taking any maps. Looking at the standings here, um, that's a big win for Chengdu. Uh, they're now sitting in 16th, so you know they're climbing slowly-ish. But you know, they definitely were not looking great going into that game. So big win for them. Um, they're sitting at three and five in 16th place, whereas Gangzhou now with with that loss is sitting in 11th, with an even record of four and four with uh, three minus negative three map differential. So interesting to see Chengdu there um, pulling that one out of their hats. Next up was the Shanghai Dragons against the Hangzhou Spark, and once again Shanghai can add another three and zero to their record this season. Um, Shanghai taking it obviously three and zero. Looking at the breakdown, a little bit more of an even matchup here. Um, you know, it's not all zeros on the side of Hangzhou. Shanghai did, of course, take the first map, and it went, oh, look at that, interesting. Uh, it went 2-1 to one on Busan. Map 2 was Route 66, where Shanghai took it 3-2. to two. So again, Hangzhou, you know, putting up a fight. Um, you know, Shanghai just managing to squeak out the extra points and coming out on top. Map three was Numbani, and it actually was three and three. So interesting stuff there with uh, both Hangzhou and Shanghai managing to cap three points and uh, and cause the draw on that one. You know, not not something we see too too incredibly often. So always exciting when that happens, and probably you know lit a bit of a fire under Hangzhou, thinking you know, hey, maybe we can do this. But of course, we then went to Hanamura, where Shanghai took it two to one. So yet another win for Shanghai. Um, I'm actually not even going to bring up where they are in the standings right now because I'll mention that when I get to this weekend's final game. However, um, Hangzhou is now sitting in 14th with a record of 3-4. and four. So interesting, we actually see, let's see, 1, 2, 3. We see 3 out of 4 of those um, Asian teams in the bottom 10, which, you know, is a little bit unfortunate. Um, definitely comes down a lot to uh, everything going on in the world right now and teams being, you know, locked to their hometowns and, you know, a lot of players streaming out of their own homes and that kind of thing. But regardless, you know, Chengdu in 16th, Hangzhou in 14th, Gangzhou in 11th. Moving on from there, we had our Sunday games. The first Sunday game was the Gangzhou Charge against the Hangzhou Spark. And it went the way of Gangzhou, three to one. So big, uh, actually I'll cover that in a second. So three to one in the map match looked like this. Gangzhou took Lijiang Tower, two to one. Gangzhou took Dorado, two to one. Hangzhou then came back and took Eichenwald, two to one. And of course, Gangzhou took map four, Volskaya Industries, three to two. So again, you know, an interesting one there, um, obviously, Gangzhou lost the day before, so good for them for managing to pull out a win on Sunday. So they went, you know, one and one this weekend. Hangzhou, however, you know, pulling another loss, first losing against Shanghai and then losing against Gangzhou. And one thing that I will talk about at the end of this section is my big winners and big losers of the weekend. Um, you can probably guess who one of the big losers is going to be already. 
Moving on from there, uh, our Sunday game was the ch or our second final Sunday game was the Chengdu Hunters against the Shanghai Dragons. I'm just going to pull up the match details here, and it went three and zero for Shanghai, and it looked like this. Map one was Oasis, where Shanghai took it two and zero. Map two was Dorado, where Shanghai took it five to four, and map three was Hollywood, where Shanghai took it three to two. So again, you know. A lot less one-sided than that other game against Gangzhou, which was really interesting just to see all zeros across the board. Um, you know, Chengdu at least putting up a fight on Dorado for sure, and Hollywood as well. Um, however, Shanghai managing again to come out on top with another 3-0. and So, big winners and big losers of this past weekend. Now, I've mentioned this, I think, on the last episode, but maybe last two. Um, at the end of this, I always pick my big winners, big losers. It doesn't necessarily have to be who won the most, who lost the most. However, that's usually how it shakes out. Um, but this week, I'll actually highlight a couple other teams just because, obviously, I'm a fan and they looked pretty good this weekend. So, first things first, let's get the big losers out of the way. Only one big loser this weekend because, well, you know what, you could argue too. I'm going to put a second one on there. Um, only two big losers this weekend. The first one being the Hangzhou Spark. Of course, as I mentioned, Saturday and Sunday back-to-back -back games, and they lost both of them. Um, so they're, you know, not feeling too great about that, I'm sure. The second big loser of the weekend, though, that I just added to the list, I'm going to say is the Paris Eternal. Because, you know, Paris playing Florida, that was a game that they should have had on lock. Um, like I say, I can't, you know, praise Florida enough for coming out with that win. But who knows what other factors may have been going on there with Paris. Um, you know, obviously, we recently saw the Vancouver Titans being the big losers of the weekend. And I think a lot of that came down to, um, you know, some of the external stressors of working from home not only working from home but them all being centered in korea whereas management is centered obviously in canada in vancouver but regardless um who knows what else was going on there for paris but i am putting paris on the big losers now big winners this weekend the first and the the true big winner obviously once again is the shanghai dragons they seem to be on this list every week and that, obviously, is why they're currently sitting in third place with a record of 6-1 with a total of seven games played. Now, I say they're in third, but, I mean, it's really yet to be determined what the Seoul Dynasty are really looking like. Um, again, as we saw with Vancouver, they may not necessarily be the first place team that they are sitting at with a record of 2-0. and um, So, you know, hopefully we'll get to see them play again soon. Moving on from there, our other big winners of the weekend, I am including the Florida Mayhem, which I think I've talked to death this podcast, and I also added the Dallas Fuel on there, um, just because the Dallas Fuel, like I said, really strong showing, um, and I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what they can do a lot more this season, whereas prior to this weekend, you know, I was kind of just like, eh, they're a bottom team, you know, bottom five, if not bottom six or seven kind of thing, but, uh, but hopefully they're able to turn things around, um, you know. I like the team, and I'd like to see them do better than they are, that's for sure. So that comes brings to an end the uh, Week 11 recap. Um, and the next segment I always do is called Owl Flying Atcha, where we look at the upcoming week in the Overwatch League. So Week 12, 
looks something like this. And again, I, I usually put the caveat on this that this is, um, if not the first, it's one of the first times I've looked at the schedule. So I have taken a peek at this week's upcoming schedule just to see um, you know, if there's any games I really need to pay attention to. And mostly that just means if the Vancouver Titans are playing, which they're not. Um, but I wanted to, or I just like to point that out so that we know how I feel. So moving on. And that's what I thought. I know I just mentioned that we haven't really seen the Soul Dynasty play too much, but I did think that they were playing. I thought I had seen their logo on this upcoming uh, weekend's matches. So it looks like on Saturday... Oh, interesting. Okay, it's a bit of an interesting schedule this weekend. How many games have we got? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 games this weekend. Okay, so lots of games. Um, a couple of the Asian games as well, but... On Saturday, April 25th, 2 a.m. Well, 2 a.m. my time. I don't know about you. We have the Seoul Dynasty facing off against the Hangzhou Spark. So Hangzhou sitting in 14th, Seoul sitting in 1st. But again, um, it's been a while since Seoul played. So this should be an exciting one um, and great to see Seoul back in action. Moving on from there, 4 a.m. We have the Gangzhou Charge facing off against the Shanghai Dragons. Um, now, as I had mentioned previously... That matchup is one that we saw this past weekend, and we of course, oh, oh, never mind, I lied. We saw Chengdu play Gangzhou, and Chengdu is the one that three and them. My bad, sorry about that. But regardless, um, if you know Chengdu is able to three and Gangzhou, I won't be surprised at all if Shanghai is able to as well. Who knows? Maybe we'll see them fall. But Shanghai currently sitting in third, Gangzhou currently sitting in eleventh. Moving on from there, at six a.m. my time. Uh, so this is an interesting one because this will be the first of the, I think the division is Atlantic that New York is in, playing against the Chengdu Hunters. So this will be the first of the Atlantic versus those uh, Pacific Asian teams playing each other. So this is actually a really exciting match. That said, it's at 6 a.m. and I'm probably not getting up for that. With a young child in my house, I like to sleep when I can. But regardless, exciting to see New York coming back. Um, it's been a few weeks since we saw them play. Obviously, they're you know one of the main epicenters of uh, the coronavirus in these states. But they are sitting in fourth place right now with a record of five and one, with a total of six games played. So really interesting, really exciting to see them playing Chengdu, who um, you know not sitting in a super high position. They're sitting 16th with three and five, but. Exciting to see them playing each other because Chengdu, as one of the, is definitely sort of uh, one of the wildcard teams over in Asia. They've got a play style that's kind of unlike any others that we typically see. So it should be really exciting seeing them. And of course, I'm always excited to see John come back. Moving on from there, uh, the next Saturday games, we got two more, one at 2 p.m. We see the Atlanta Rain facing off the f against the Philadelphia Fusion. So that will be a match for the ages. Um, the Atlanta Rain sitting in fifth right now, four and two, hot off a win this past weekend. And the Philadelphia Fusion, um, hot off, uh, I think they had this past week off, but I believe they played in week 10. Um, and they are hot off another win as well um, with a record of 8-1. and one. So Philadelphia really right now, one of the dominant forces, but Atlanta certainly no, uh, no sheep in the race. So it'll be a, that's, that should be a really good match to watch, and my daughter usually goes down for a nap around 1.30 p.m., so I should be able to catch that one for sure. Next match, final match of the Saturday at 4 p.m., 
is the San Francisco Shock once again facing off against the Los Angeles Valiant. So again, this comes down to what I was talking to with Los Angeles having a shitty matchup schedule. Um, I think they definitely have one of the more tough ones facing off against our former champs uh, seemingly over and over and over. Hopefully they've got some tricks up their sleeve. Hopefully they can come out on top. If they do, they'll jump the, the standings. Let's see. Do, 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 do. A few positions, I think. I think maybe four or five positions. Um, whereas San Francisco would go four and three. Uh, they will drop. They'll still be top ten, but they'll drop a few positions as well. Of course, depending on what everyone else does. So, anyways, final Saturday game, four o'clock uh, Mountain Daylight Time, San Francisco versus the LA Valiant. Our first game on Sunday is then, of course, the Hangzhou Spark versus the Chengdu Hunters. So, you know, not a match we haven't seen yet, but should be a relatively even match. Um, exciting to see both those teams playing each other Hangzhou in 14th and Chengdu in 16th so not a lot separating them Hangzhou sitting with three and four Chengdu sitting with three and five so Chengdu only one more loss than Hangzhou so who knows what'll happen in that one second matchup on Sunday at 4 a.m. Mountain Daylight Time is the Shanghai Dragons against the Seoul Dynasty. Now, there's another exciting match. Ooh, I hadn't actually looked at who Seoul was playing on Sunday. Wow, that should be an exciting one because obviously with uh, Shanghai on the roll there on or on the run there on with, you know, a record of 6-1 and one, and of course with Seoul returning to play after a hiatus, um, you know, if they can win their first match of the weekend, who knows, they might have the steam to win their second match. Um, but regardless, that should be a really exciting one. Maybe I'll catch a replay of that one. Um, because, uh, yeah, really exciting to see Seoul coming back and obviously really exciting to see Shanghai uh, facing off against them. So that's exciting. Next matchup at 6 a.m. Mountain Daily Time on Sunday is again New York rising for an early game uh, to play the Gangzhou Charge. So again, you know, another exciting one because of the uh, Asian Pacific teams playing against the Atlantic Conference teams. So really exciting, really happy to see that one happening as well. Then on Sunday, the first match that I'll probably catch is the Florida Mayhem against the Boston Uprising. Now I've talked a lot of shit about Boston and I've talked a lot of good stuff about Florida. I will talk more shit about Boston and more good stuff about Florida right now. Um, Florida should be able to take this one. If Florida does not take this one, then that's a bit of a blunder on their part because Boston right now, frankly, sucks. Um, again, you know, maybe similar to Los Angeles Valiant, maybe it's a matchup thing, but I don't think they have anything going for them. Um, I personally think that Washington and Boston deserve to be in spots 19 and 20, whereas I don't think Dallas and the Los Angeles Valiant deserve to be in spots 17 and 18. So exciting to see that one because hopefully we'll get to watch florida win again moving on from there we have a battle of texas uh for, for at 4 p.m mountain daylight time final game of the weekend final game on sunday we have the houston outlaws facing off against the dallas fuel so houston is currently sitting in 15th with a record of four and six dallas sitting in 17th with a record of two and four so dallas has played a significant number less games than houston However, um, Houston has uh, not had the best record lately. They've pulled out a few big wins, which have been impressive. Um, but like I say, with Dallas looking as good as they did against San Francisco, I won't be at all surprised to see them really put up a fight and really duke it out with Houston for that win. Um, I'd love to see Dallas win, um, but, uh, but that one really could go either way. So... 
So that brings to a close the matches of this upcoming week 12 in the Overwatch League. So I'm very excited for a lot of those matches. I, you know, I uh, oftentimes I don't think I'm the most expressive person, but I do think that uh, a lot of those matches get me really excited. Um, again, you know, first game on Saturday, exciting to see Soul come back. Um, moving on from there, uh, you know, game at early game on Saturday, New York against Chengdu, exciting to see the uh, New York Excelsior take on uh, the Chengdu Hunters right after, well, right after that, you know, like eight hours after that. Um, Atlanta Rain taking on the Philadelphia Fusion, you know, two of the very high-ranking, you know, top teams playing. That's an exciting one. San Francisco Shock facing off against LA Valiant again, you know, LA a chance for redemption. Another exciting one. Moving on to Sunday, you know, Shanghai playing Seoul. Exciting to see Seoul coming back. Shanghai, obviously one of the top teams over in that area really exciting to see them facing off against each other again new york playing one of the asian teams another exciting one and then obviously from there you know a couple more games that i'm just more personally invested in so regardless that is what the games look like for week 12 so i'm very excited to see those happen looking at the standings right now i'll do a quick recap of the top I would say five, but I'm going to go six right now. Number one is the Seoul Dynasty with a record of two and oh. Number two is the Philadelphia Fusion with a record of eight and one. Number three is the Shanghai Dragons with a record of six and one. Four is New York Excelsior, five and one. Five is Atlanta Rain, four and two. And six is the San Francisco Shock, again, four and two. So a really interesting mix we've got there. Um, I don't think anyone at the beginning of the season would have predicted San Francisco where they are. Um, I don't think anyone would have predicted the Vancouver Titans where they are. And, you know, there's certainly some other surprises right now. But regardless, that is all very exciting to see. Now, there are two other news stories that I didn't bring up, but I want to cover here, but I'm covering at the end of the show just because I'm just going to quickly mention them because I don't want to get too into them. And they both uh, are somewhat related. The first one is the London Spitfire. So I've read a couple articles about the London Spitfire and the fact that they may not be playing again until, um, I can't remember if the article said May or end of May. So that's an interesting one because the London Spitfire obviously um, over the offseason rebuilt their team with an entire Korean roster. And because of that, during this whole coronavirus ep uh, pandemic, they had to send all of their players back to Korea. So that's largely why. Now that relates directly to the second news story that I was wanting to cover, which is the Vancouver Titans. So I was reading some of this late in the day uh, on Sunday, I believe, which was yesterday. Is today Tuesday? Oh, okay. I don't know what day it is anymore, but um, I was reading about the Vancouver Titans and their seeming implosion that may be coming um there's a lot of scuttlebutt right now in the vancouver titans community about what exactly is happening it's very unclear um nobody seems to really know the facts but what i've been able to gather is that in a similar vein to london um the vancouver titans were a entirely korean roster and of course because of that they had to send their roster back to korea so the fact that they're back there has meant that they've been a little at odds with the Vancouver Titans management, which is obviously based in Canada, and the ownership group, which is obviously a, you know, a large investment group in Canada. So there's a lot of drama going on right now there. Um, you know, rumors of Hacksaw being benched, rumors of players banding together in support of Hacksaw because they don't want him benched, um, you know, 
supposedly all the players you know were playing out of their homes didn't have the best setups and things like that for their last two matches which of course they lost both of those matches so regardless um i'm looking forward to more of that news breaking because i want to know what's going on with my vancouver titans and in that vein, I also want to say to both London Spitfire and the Vancouver Titans, um, as fans of the Overwatch League and as fans of Overwatch in general, um, you know, we wish all of them the best, all of the players, all of the staff, all of the management, all of the whatever, ownership groups, you know. I don't think anyone who's a fan of the Overwatch League wishes ill on anyone. Obviously, I want the San Francisco Shock to get beat by every team in the book, but that's, you know, in the sport of competition, um, or in the spirit of competition, not in a literal sense or anything like that. Um, so anyways, just wishing all the best, positive vibes, um, you know, good luck, and hopefully we see both the London Spitfire and the Vancouver Titans return to play soon. With all that said, this was a rather long episode, and it is rather late, and I do have to work tomorrow. So I'm going to bring my episode to a close. Um, this is, of course, One Man Watchpoint, an Overwatch podcast. And you can get this podcast now on Apple Podcast Services, on Spotify, and hopefully, I don't, I need someone to confirm it, but hopefully on Google Podcast Services as well, or Android Podcast Services, whatever they call them over there. I'm your host, Sir Dr. JM. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sir DRJM. You can follow me there. You can tweet at me. You can ask me questions. You can suggest things for me to talk about on the show, ask my opinion, whatever you want. And I am more than happy to do that. Once again, this was One Man Watchpoint and Overwatch Podcast. And I'll catch you next week. <laughs>